It is a golden age of communication. I say that because there are more ways to communicate now than there have ever been in history. There was a time, all of you youngers, some 25, 30 years ago, if you wanted to communicate with someone who is not near you and was unphonable, you actually had to take this thing called paper and a pen and in longhand, or if you were smart enough, cool enough to have a typewriter back before there was computers, uh, you would have to either by longhand write out or type out a letter, and then you would fold it up, put it in an envelope, put this thing called a stamp on it, and then you would put it in the snail mail system, and it would arrive some three to five days later. And then that person would uh, correspond back, and you would have these uh, elongated conversations uh, through the mail. N not so much anymore. Uh, now you have more computing power in your pocket than we had 30 years ago in a huge room, and uh, you can text someone, uh, which is my preferred form of communication. Has anybody gotten there with me? I mean, I know they call it a phone. It's not really a phone for me anymore. It's a text machine. Because it's just simpler, it's cleaner. Uh, there's certainly some things that need to be said face-to-face -face or phone-to-phone, -phone, but most of our communication could just be a couple like, uh, you know, emojis and, uh, and a few uh, notes and, and, and certainly email. Those of us who work in the, in the world uh, of business and other places, email has changed how we do business. Isn't that true? It's instant now. You can find out what's going on, what's up, schedule things, make appointments for people. You just have to let them accept it. That's one of my favorite little things on the computer now. You're going to this meeting, push yes, right? There's fun, but it's still not foolproof. As uh, many of you, I'm sure, I have written out meticulous emails, uh, instituting a, a meeting to come up later in the week. I arrive at the meeting place. No one else is there. I start going to offices, and I'm like, hey, why aren't you at this meeting? I told you about this meeting. I emailed you on Monday. And they look at me like I'm a crazy man. And then it's a race. Isn't it a race? You have your electronic device, they have theirs, and they're looking for the, the email that they missed, because that happens, right, every once in a while? You thought it was junk, right? But you're looking for the email that you sent, and you come up on this email, and you say, see, look right there, and they, they look at you, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, you forgot to push send. Who's done that? Anybody done that? Wrote out this all-important text and forgot to push send? Wrote out this incredibly, uh, you know, uh, this, this work of art email. That was gonna you know, set you up for the next week of your business and you just forgot to push send. You gotta push send. You gotta push send. Communication doesn't happen in the electronic age except that you push send. The mission in the church does not happen except the churches push send. For 2,000 years, it's been the temptation of the church to talk a ton about the mission, to sing songs about the mission, to have Sunday school classes about the mission, to talk in life groups about the mission, to have everybody fired up about the mission, and then people walk out the door Sunday after Sunday and they forget to push send. They just forget to go. Or they refuse to go, or they, whatever. But uh, today we're gonna talk about being a church that pushes send. I'm grateful to have been a part of a church for 13 years that for the most part has pushed send every time it's been asked to. Whether it's been raising funds for local uh, initiatives or or global initiatives, sending people. So many of you have gone on trips on behalf of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for that. I want us to go deeper. I want us to go further. I don't, and listen, I don't want us to ever forget that we are gathered for the sake of the send. Everything that we do in here leads up to and points to the send. We are a church who have been given, the global church of Jesus Christ have been given the greatest hope of the world 
our Savior. And for us to sit on him, not share him with those who need him, it's just something I never want to be said of our church here. Some, uh, some people come to Christ and they hear me start talking about, hey, you need to start telling your friends about you know, your faith in Christ and the things that have happened in your life. And, and they, they kind of push back and they're like, whoa, 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 I'm trying to get used to this on my own, bro. Don't make me go and tell other people. I mean, what's, what's the hurry? Why go? Why go? Why is that such a big deal? Why can't we just stay? Well, a couple reasons. Going is our mission. It's our mission. When you think of the church, don't think of a place and, and go beyond even thinking of us as a people. We're a mission. We are a mission to the world. I mean, in so many ways, in so many places, Jesus said this, but I'll just take you here to Mark chapter 16, the last chapter of this gospel, where it says, Jesus gathered his disciples, and he was about to be, be uh, uh, you know, lifted up into the heavens, and he said this last thing to him. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We get that in Matthew 28. We get that in Acts chapter 1. It's said in different ways, but it's the same message. The last thing he said before he left his disciples was, don't forget to go. Spent 40 days with them after his resurrection. I'm sure he had lots of things to say to them. Lots of reminders, recapping things that he had taught them over his three and a half years with them. But the last thing he said to them was, don't forget to go. Time to time in my uh, marital history, there's been people coming over and uh, we'll be in the middle of making something for dinner and we'll realize we don't have an ingredient. Does anybody start making cookies or baking a cake and you just don't check to see if you have all the ingredients? That's how we roll. And so uh, we'll be in the middle of some cookies and we'll, find, we'll get to the part where we're supposed to add the eggs and we'll open up the fridge. No eggs. Well, the people are coming. The cookies need to be made. Someone's going to get some eggs. And uh, invariably what will happen is, is that'll be me. And so Eleanor and I will say, okay, you go get the eggs and I'll keep finishing up here. And, and, and what will happen because of 26 years of marriage is I'll, I'll be like, you know what, I have sneaky suspicion that maybe there's more things we need. Is there anything else we need? So anybody had this, the one thing to go get? And then you're like, oh, no, yeah, don't forget this either. And it would be nice to have this. And on your way back, you can stop at this store and get these things. And the list becomes longer, right? So you get everything settled and everything's t- typed into your notes app. And you head out to the, uh, the, the, to the garage to get in your car. And the last thing your beautiful bride says to you, Mark, you can forget everything else on that list. But do not come home without the eggs. Anybody want to guess how many times I've come home without the eggs? <laughs> oh, come on, you've done it too. You went to that room for that one thing and the TV was on and you watched five minutes of that episode and then your kid asked you something and you had to kick the dog because it peed on the carpet. And, and, and so, oh, sorry, I don't know where that came from. But all these things happen and you walk back out of the room and you're like, something's wrong, something's missing. I went into this room for one thing and I have left without it. Yeah, may we never be a church that forgets the eggs. The gospel, it's our main mission. It's, our, it's the point of our existence, which brings us to the second reason why we go. Going is one of the chief reasons that you and I were saved. And some of you, we, well, I don't want to be mean. How do I say this nice? Those of us who are younger in our faith, we need to grow past the, the me, me, meanness of our faith. The personalization of our faith. Eleanor and I were talking to a young couple when we first moved here, and uh, we were sitting across from them and talking about their faith in Jesus Christ as they were heading towards being married. And we asked the young guy, I said, hey, you know, tell us about your, your salvation experience and about your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
The only thing he said to us is, well, that's, that's a very personal thing. And he wouldn't talk to us about it. <laughs> I remember Eleanor just wanted to be like, run, don't marry this guy. <coughs> I don't know, whatever, anyway. <laughs> she didn't say that. But I was a little bit alarmed, and I would be alarmed too if you said to me as, as a Christian, if, you, if I asked you, are you a Christian, you said yes, and I said, well, tell me about it. You said, well, that's a very personal thing. I would say, no, it's not. That's not a personal thing at all. I mean, there's personal elements of your faith. I'm not gonna deny that you personally, under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, had to choose Jesus Christ so that you could become a Christian. That's, that's personal-ish, right? But the personal nature of your faith stops with the decision for you to have faith, and it quickly becomes a uh, relational faith. This faith that we live is not to be meant, uh, meant to be lived alone. We're supposed to be in relationship with others in, 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 our, in our following of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be connected in the church, but we are supposed to be, go beyond the church in connecting other people to Jesus. It's not personal at all. We've got to get the personal pro pronouns out of our faith discussion. Jesus saved me so that I could go to heaven. He's my Savior. Yes, but it doesn't start with or stop with I and me and my. Jesus saved me so that I could go to others. Jesus gave me heaven so that I could let other people's, uh, people know about heaven. He is my savior to share with other people. These are the truths of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's, those are great descriptors of the, of the Christian church, of the Christian. We are chosen. We are royal. We're a priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're set apart. We're a people for his own possession. God loves all people, but he has given us an extra grace and made us his own. Lots of us, when we read that verse, we like to stop there. But Peter doesn't stop there. He's actually writing, just so you know, his first letter, his first epistle to a bunch of Christians who are just getting tagged for believing what they believe. Most of the epistle is him propping them up and reminding them of the goodness of God. But here, even as he's reminding them of their position in Christ and of the goodness of their God to them, he says, don't forget why you are a chosen race, why you're a holy nation, why you're a royal priesthood, why you're a people for his own position. You are those things for a purpose so that you might proclaim him, his excellencies. That you might tell others of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's, that's why you're Christians. You're not saved to sit on your salvation. You are saved to share what Jesus has done in you and for you. I'm grateful to be a part of a church uh, that goes, that uh, understands that we're the sent ones. Grateful to serve at a place where uh, we've been able to expand what we've done uh, locally and globally in my time here. And, and more and more people in, in all of our history have been served by our church and come to know Jesus Christ. But more and more people in more and more places are hearing about Jesus through us. And uh, we actually hired a guy to actually uh, you know, shepherd these initiatives. His name's Steve Shum. He's our missions director. He's going to come up and talk to you specifically about our international opportunities. Give it up for Steve. Here he is. Hello. Hi, Steve. Hello. It's good to be here. Good, good to have you. 
Uh, tell everybody about who you are, how you got in here. I'm Steve Shum. I've been a member of Bay Life since 2005. And um, I started going on mission trips right away. And, and I just, uh, I've been over on a dozen mission trips, both adults and students. And one thing I really, really love about the mission trips is usually when you go, regardless of your adults or students, you see a lot of apprehension. You see people who are want to go, but you know they're there. But when you come back on the airplane, you can't keep them quiet. They just have so many stories of how God's worked and moved, not only the, the partners we go to, but their own lives. And that's the exciting thing for me is watching people change and grow. It's awesome. Now, you're in charge of uh, our local initiatives, which we're not going to talk a whole lot about today, but our global initiatives as well. And we try to do three things, and we try to do them with, like, five different partners. Talk to us about that. Right. We focus on orphan care, pastoral training, and church planning, and, and leader. And, oh, should move that one. It's okay. <laughs> it's the last service. No big deal. <laughs> but we have Village of Hope, and they do the uh, orphan care. And La Providencia in Honduras is also orphan care. Alarm in East Africa is the pastoral training. Then we have Good News and Action in Guatemala City. And that's church out, or church planning and evangelism. That's what I forgot. And then we also have uh, Doors of, of hope. hope in India, which is also church planning and evangelism. Y'all give it up for Steve Shum. He's doing a great job for us. Thank you, Steve. So there's three ways that we try to fulfill this mission. We try to fulfill this mission by spreading God's light and God's love to those who have need for it. We do that through orphan care. We're trying to make a difference in the lives of kids. Uh, like it says in James chapter one, uh, the greatest or the truest form of religion is to take care of orphans and widows. And so we've taken that seriously. And we're trying to share the gospel with orphans in uh, Honduras and in uh, Uganda. And we'll have a special guest up talking about Uganda at the end of our service. We also try to uh, just spread the gospel. And in Guatemala, we've had a chance to send teams to just share the gospel on the streets and, and help seed uh, plants of uh, churches there in that nation. And then we also do a lot. My, my passion personally as a pastor is to go and train other pastors in places where seminary and biblical training just isn't as readily available. And so we get to do that uh, through ALARM, which is African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. And, uh, and, and through Alarm and through Doors of Hope, which we just started our partnership with last year. Uh, that's a, a group of pastors in India where the Christian populace is 3% uh, of a billion people. Uh, we're trying to get our, our toes in the door of places where the gospel is needed most. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I want you to be excited about it. I want you to be a part of what we're doing. However God leads, all of us can do something to make a difference as sent ones here at Bay Life Church. You know, it's, it's interesting, as, as we go into John chapter 20, you need to know that going, this whole idea of being sent, it got into our story on the first day of our story. Uh, I was uh, studying this week to talk to you about this, and I went to the familiar passages, you know, the Great Commission in J uh, Matthew 28 and Acts 28 and all those places. But uh, that was not really where the mission began. It had begun early in Jesus' teaching of his disciples, and it was instituted officially in the age of grace, on the first day of Jesus' life after death. We're gonna go back to that first Easter, that first Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has risen from the grave. Uh, he is 
appeared to Mary, who has gone to the disciples and told them that she saw Jesus. They ran to the tomb. It was empty. They didn't know what to think. Jesus hangs out later in the day with a, a couple folks who are leaving Jerusalem. They're on their way uh, back to a place called Emmaus. And he has a conversation with them. He, he withholds his identity to them until the very end. And then we find uh, him also appearing here to his disciples in John chapter 20. And uh, we're gonna see kind of some parallels to the disciples' story in these few verses and to our story in our relationships with Jesus Christ. The first thing we're gonna see is that uh, without Jesus, we are lost. If you're kind of new to the Christian story and the Christian faith, this is what we uh, believe about everybody in the world, regardless of where you were born, grew up, what your religion choice was or what you grew up under. Uh, if you are without Christ, you are lost in your sin. Adam and Eve sinned first. It's been a part of us as humans ever since. And every one of us is guilty, separated from a holy God because of our sin. We're lost in our sin, just like these disciples were lost on this first Easter. It says in verse 19 of chapter 20 in John, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stuck among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Picture the disciples and kind of put yourself in their shoes. Uh, they are behind locked doors. They're fearful. Their, their master has just been crucified. They figure if there's you know, gonna kind of continue to be some oppression, they're next. And so they're trying not to show their faces. They've gathered together to kind of have the, the emergency meeting. What do we do next? And they're huddled up in this room behind a locked door. But don't miss the locked door. They're trapped. They're lost. They're helpless and hopeless. Just like every one of us in here without our Savior Jesus Christ. You know, it doesn't matter uh, if, you, if you think you're, you know, uh, doing great or, or if, you, if you think you're a hot mess like you are. Bottom line, without Jesus, you and I are lost. We're like the lost sheep in the parable of the, of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15. Remember that first parable that Jesus tells? He says, you know what, there was 99 that were in the fold and there was one that was lost and the shepherd went out to find the one and brought it home. And a lot of times we put the emphasis on that parable, uh, you know, in that parable on the good shepherd. He goes and looks. We're celebrating uh, Jesus who is uh, that one who goes and looks for the lost sheep. But put yourselves in the, in the hooves of the lost sheep, I guess. Can you imagine being out there, separated from the flock, on your own, alone, lost? That's us. Eleanor and I uh, went to Home Depot yesterday to get some supplies for the trailer that we're fixing up. And on the way back, she says, hey, you know what? It wouldn't hurt. We're right by it. Let's go down uh, to the Humane Society there on Falkenberg, and we'll just look at dogs. We've been talking about getting dogs for like six or eight months. And uh, she actually stalked one for a while, and... Uh, she was hoping to uh, adopt it after the hurricane, but it's a long story, but she, she lost out on this dog to another lady who got in line the day that we could adopt her, or the dog before, anyway, long story. So, so uh, there just hasn't been a good time to get dogs, or, or dog, and, uh, and she says, you know what, we won't look at any, you know, we won't get any, but we'll just go and look. <laughs> and so we did, and we walked in there, and we saw all these dogs and all these cages, and we're looking for smaller dogs and stuff like that. And, and we, we're almost down the last row. We're, we're almost done looking at all the dogs. And, and there they were, two brothers, brought in on the same day, miniature schnauzers. We think they're purebred. And they're just sitting in their cages. Now, one, we're, uh, uh, one was a total uh, spat, like he was freaking out, terrified. 
And he was just kind of huddled in a ball, shaking the whole time he was there, right? His brother, uh, as soon as we got there, walked out. Uh, yeah, there's like a door between, you know, the outdoor space and their inside kennel. And he walked out by the fence, and he would just kind of look over his shoulder at us like, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going with you guys. Uh, but they both had one thing in common. Uh, they're lost. I don't mean to bring everybody down. I'm not going to sing the Sarah McLaughlin song, you know, I will remember you. I'm not going to sing any of that. But if, if you're into animals, this is a sad place to go because if these animals don't get adopted, they're, they're going to be ended. This is kind of their last stop. And uh, they're in these cages and they're just waiting for someone to come by. And it's really interesting. You come by and there's, there's certain dogs that are like, <laughs> take me, take me. And then there's other dogs that as soon as you walk up to them, they're like, Arr! and they want to rip your arm off, Right? And then you got our dog who's like, you know, and then you got the other dog who's like, whatever. And it kind of describes a different, you know, people who kind of walk around this world. There, there's happy-go-lucky, oblivious people. There's uh, angry people. There's terrified people or afraid of their shadow and whatever's going on in the news. There's, there's people who are just like, I don't need you. I don't need it. But listen, we, like the dogs, we're all in the same prison. It's called our sin. And unless someone comes and rescues us, that's where we find our end. We, like the disciples, without Jesus, we're, we're lost. But with Jesus, we are found. Look what it says in the se uh, second part of, of verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. You gotta understand, if you're a Christian today, it's because Jesus came to you. It's not because you came to him, it's because he came to you. And he knocked on the door of your heart and he said something to this effect, yo, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Peace be with you. Undoubtedly, uh, he was using a Hebrew uh, greeting of the day. Uh, Shalom, asalekum, peace be with you. It's still used in Israel to this day. It's common greeting, but he wasn't using it in a common way. Uh, certainly they were terrified. Jesus kind of appeared uh, you know, out of nowhere without using a door. It would freak you out too. But he wasn't just saying, hey, everybody calm down, it's me. He was making a profound theological statement. This is his first conversation with his followers since his resurrection. And he says, not once, but we're going to see twice, peace be with you. It would go on to be the opening of most of Paul's letters. Grace and peace be yours in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, shalom. He's not talking, shalom isn't just the absence of stress or fright or fear. Shalom is this wholeness, this, this God um, fullness. Like that old, old hymn we used to sing, it is well with my soul, that's shalom. No matter what's going on, God's got me, shalom. And this is what Jesus says to him. He follows up, you know, what his last words were, or, or some of his last words to his disciples, were hung, well, as he was hanging on the cross, he says, it is finished. Again, uh, a, a sentence that is just packed with meaning. Because he wasn't just talking about his physical life, he was talking about the spiritual war that had been waged between man and God. This spiritual separation, this lostness. He hung on a cross, taking your sins and mine upon himself, and when he died, the power of sin in our lives died if we only put our faith in him. And when he said, it is finished, he meant 
the power of sin is finished. And so he shows up to his disciples. The first thing he says to them is, yo, peace is here. Peace be with you. Romans, uh, the writings of Paul, and Romans pick it up. He says, therefore, since we have been justified in chapter five, since we've been justified by our faith, we have, say it with me, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He bridged our gap. He sealed the leak. We were uh, at Home Depot yesterday uh, to pick up some of that flex seal tape. Has anybody seen the commercials? There's this huge hole on the top of this trailer that Eleanor and I bought, and I thought I had tarped it pretty well. Apparently, I hadn't. Because it's only rained like once in the last month, but that little bit of rain was enough to start peeling the walls off the inside of this trailer because water got inside and started just making a mess of the veneer. One of the reasons that I bought this thing is I thought we wouldn't have to do anything to the inside because the inside was pristine. Guess what? It ain't pristine no more. <laughs> so we're ripping down the walls and tearing out the insulation that's been affected by this leak that I thought I had so capably plugged. I was using the wrong product. I had to get the flex seal. You can cut your boat in half and tape it up with that stuff. <laughs> Just go right out, right out in the bay. You can do whatever you want. But here's the deal, so many people in the world, they're just throwing a tarp over their sin. They're just trying to cover it up a little bit. And they're thinking, this is enough. I've done enough good to outweigh my bad. Of course God will take me. If that's what you're believing, can I just kind of hit you in the head with a, a two by four? Not literally, that would be assault. But uh, kind of spiritually speaking, can I help you understand? There's no tarp that's gonna cover your sin. The only thing that's gonna cover your sin is the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that plugs the hole. It's the only thing that bridges the gap. It's Jesus. Without him we're lost, with him we're found, and by him we are sent. By Jesus we are sent. We're on a mission. We're not just kind of here to sit and bask in our savedness and get some good tips on how we can live life better. I hope those happen, I hope those are helpful, but, but we're here on a mission. We're here to get fueled up so that we can go out serve God where he leads us to serve him. Look what it says here in this first interaction between Jesus and his disciples. When he had uh, said this, when he had said, peace be with you, he goes up to him and he shows him his hands and his side so that they can know it's really him. And the disciples, they were obviously ecstatic, glad doesn't probably carry it, but they were freaking out. This is our, sa- this is our master, he's been resurrected, we saw him die. Can you imagine seeing someone that you'd spent the last three and a half years die? And then you see him again? Just one sentence in John's gospel, but I think there was a little bit more fuss, right? And he's probably trying to calm him down, and he says, fellas, verse 21, peace be with you. And then his second, listen, he said one sentence twice. Peace be with you, peace be with you. And his second sentence that he says to his disciples He doesn't say, it's good to see you guys. Let me tell you what happened over the last three days. It was incredible. Uh, I got pictures. You know, he doesn't say anything like that. He goes right from saying, I have died and resurrected so that you might have peace to the mission. And he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. There was a passing of the baton there. 
It had always been the same mission. Jesus came to do his part and he was going to leave. But he was going to hand off the baton of this message to his followers. That's us. As my father sent me, so I send you. You know that God's a missionary. Everybody understands that about God? As soon as sin came into the world, God became a missionary. He, he, he was a sender to the humans so that the humans could be freed. And you got Noah, right? He builds a boat, preserves humanity through the flood. Now you got Abraham, right? Abraham was promised by God that your descendants, I will bless all of the earth. All humanity will be blessed through one of your descendants. We know that to be Jesus. We got Joseph, who kind of had this, you know, weird route, but, but God ultimately sent him to Egypt for the very purpose of redeeming his brothers and his father in Israel who were gonna die in a famine. God's a missionary. God sends Moses 400 years later and he gets the children of Israel out of Egypt. He sends Joshua after Moses dies to get the children of Israel into the promised land. He sends prophet after prophet after prophet in the Old Testament to Israel so that Israel could pull their head out and start following God again. He sends Jesus at the beginning of our New Testament as his ultimate missional work so that the Son of God himself could come, give us the good news and die so that the effect of the good news could be ours. And then Jesus passes the baton. We're up. All the same mission. God the Father is the sender. Jesus was the original sent one. He talked of the one who would be sent in his place, the Holy Spirit, and he promised that he would be with us, Matthew 28, even till the end of the age, whether that's the end of this age or your age, whatever your age ends up being. He's with us in this mission, and it's ours to accomplish with him for his sake. That's why I'm grateful to be a part of so many great partnerships here and around the world. We're gonna finish by hearing about one of them from the lady who was by God's grace empowered to start it. Her name's Rose. She's the founder of Village of Hope in Uganda. She's here this morning. Would you please give her a hearty Bay Life welcome to our stage. Uh, Rose uh, is, is, I don't have favorites, but if I had one, Rose would be one of them. And I am so blessed by uh, what God has done through Rose. I'm going to just let her start. I'm going to interject sometimes. We've got to get these guys out of here after a while. But she's got a story you've got to hear. God has used her in mighty ways. Let's hear the story of Rose in the Village of Hope. Go ahead. Good morning, Bay Life Church. I love you all so much. First of all, I want you all to know that I can hardly speak about Village of Hope without mentioning Bay Life Church. My name is Rosalina Bay. I'm a co-founder of Village of Hope and a director in Uganda. And I feel so privileged to be a minister here today. I'm so thankful that God has given me this opportunity to share about Village of Hope. I know you have been praying for Village of Hope for many years. You did not stop at praying but you went an extra mile and supported us in all the different ways. Many of you have chosen to walk with us on this journey. 
it's not an easy one. The church has visited us. The church has cried with us. The church has loved us just like we were there on. And I just don't take that for granted. Thank you very much, Bay Life. Um, Village of Hope is a miracle organization. It has been a miracle from day one up to date. And we have seen the face of God move in Village of Hope through each one of you who have chosen to walk with us on this road. It was years back in 1988 when I was about nine years old and then a war broke out in our country and we had this small village which was very communal. It was very, very loving. It was a community that was full of love. So the war came in, the incoming government was very rude to the local people. They were killing the, the civilians. And the outgoing government was looting and doing the same thing. And the local person did not have anywhere to run to because the outgoing ones were in the bushes and the incoming one was everywhere around. So one day there came this man and that was Joseph Cohn. He called himself the greatest prophet. That's why his movement was called the Lord's Resistance Army because he claimed to fight by the word of God. And so he found the local people at their most vulnerable state and he just grabbed them. Everyone believed in him at the beginning and we all thought he was a man of God who had come to save us from these two governments. But that was wrong because he was the devil himself. And so every night everyone went praying and they prayed. You know, we had like night prayers every day because that was fairly a safer place from both sides who were very hostile. And this one fateful night, so many people went to do their regular prayers just like they did every day. And so he just turned out all the lights around midnight. And before we knew it, there was noise coming from everywhere. There were sounds of people crying, and we thought maybe people were praying. But it brought, we were wrong. He was killing people using machetes. And he had his people who came in, his, the, 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 the men he claimed were his ashes, were actually soldiers who started killing people, and they killed so many people that night. There were over 300 people and I happened to be among the 30 people who survived. And I can't thank God enough for that. But I carried a guilt for so many years because I remained alive. I lost my friends. I lost some of my relatives. But God saved my life. And that question remained in my mind. I kept asking myself, why did I survive when so many died? 
and little did I know that probably God had a different plan for us. Just like in our daily lives, we are all gifted differently. And God has a plan for each one of us in this house. And your plan is probably different from your children's plans. We are all different. And so I struggled with that for a long time. Until when the war continued, I went and got my education. But every school break, I used to come back to this area where hundreds of kids ran and took refuge within the town centers because that was the only safe place they would have. Many of them flee their homes, taking different directions from their parents. And some parents got killed around that same time. But these kids assumed that the parents could have taken different directions and they were alive somewhere. But that was wrong. So during the daytime, they spent time around the center and in the night, they came to this night committer center. The night committer center wasn't very safe by itself because we had drunkards who'd come and rape girls off the streets. And so many girls got impregnated, and these were very young girls. I went and started spending nights with these little girls so that they are not raped in the nights. And then time came on, I took them to a separate area where these kids were safer because they were away from all these drunkards. But before I realized it, we were hosting over 5,000 kids in this small area, which opened a lot of alarm with the government officials. They decided to close down the night committers center, which were the only, only places that these kids were safe in. Started taking back the kids to their homes to try and identify where their relatives are. But so many of these kids were crushed because that's the time they were learning for the first time. That when they ran months ago from their homes before the homes were burnt down, that's when their parents were killed. And so it was like a fresh wound on top of the double one that was for them losing their, their home. So I tried to reconnect them to their relatives. Some of them were received by the relatives, but not all of them had their relatives. I remained with these 24 kids that I, I couldn't find any close relatives to take care of them. So I brought them into my home with the hope of maybe having the relatives take them like in a day or two. But that wasn't true. God had his own plans. And I realized that I was actually stuck with 24 kids in a small two-roomed house. And a week turned into a month, a month turned into years. But somehow, God worked through these kids. We prayed. That's all I could offer them. Whatever little that I had, we had consumed and we did not have enough food. This problem turned into a family problem. I shared this with my relatives and they started contributing food every day. But that wasn't enough to solve the problem of 24 kids who were in this small house. They needed medical care, they needed clothing, they needed proper shelter, which I wasn't able to give them. But I gave them the strength 
that our God in heaven lives and he's seeing each one of us. These kids put their trust in God. That was the greatest consolation I had because every night I would just hide behind the door and just cry to God and ask him what this is because I, I, it was a shock of my life that I had all these kids and I did not have any plans for them. But yet I wanted to be strong for these kids. And so they, they were very flexible. We just prayed and believed in God. If there's food, yes, oh, thank God, we have food today, we eat it. If there's no food, we, all we could do was pray. And God manifested his love to us through different people. He has touched the lives of these children. And through that, when I shared it to the family, my sister happened to work for Alam. And Alam had hosted a team. And through this team came a woman who had gone for a different mission. She had gone to meet the women. But she chose to to drive eight hours away from Kampala to where we were to visit these children instead of going for the women's ministry. And I just feel like that was God answering our prayers. She came and I took her around because even with the kids who I had connected with the, the different relatives who are not doing well, reason being the relatives were equally crippled by the war. They had nothing to offer themselves. Above all, adding on an additional mouth to feed. So that was a big challenge. So when I took her throughout the, the IDP camps where the kids were displaced, they chose to, she chose to give up her job with alarm and asked me what we could do for these kids. And I just know that that was God moving. And those are a few of the miracles. We started Village of Hope. And in 2007 is when we were blessed with a 100-acre piece of land that was bought to us by Bay Life Church. And that's why I just cannot thank you all enough. God has used you to touch the amount of lives that you would never imagine. Through these 24 kids, at the beginning, my prayer was just for the 24 kids. Little did I know that God had bigger plans. He kept bringing different people with big hearts. And they have supported us. As I talk now, we have two orphanages where we're taking care of these kids. And through the orphan, we have kids who have directly benefited through Village of Hope. And I know many of you here are our sponsors. We have graduated about 970 kids who have gone through the program. Yeah. I just can't thank you enough. And I just want to say thank you for letting God work through you to fulfill his work in the lives of these kids. The devil came to destroy, but now we are repairing it and we are going to do that together. Yeah, got it. Amen. Amen. Tell them about the two. Tell them about the two. We have two kids. Um, out of the 24, we have two of them who have graduated from university and they're teachers in our different schools. 
um, we have the vocational department, which was opened in 2015, and we have, we have graduated 86 kids who have gone out there and they're having their jobs, and that's a life for them. And then we, uh, we have kids who are still out in the IDP camps who still need our support, who still need our prayers, because they're out there, they, they were removed from the IDP camps, taken back to their different homes where they had never been. Because many of these kids were born in the IDP camps. Mm -hmm. But somehow they were pushed out of the uh, IDP camps. They went back home and there are no homes. And to many of the community members, it's such big trauma that they're facing out there because those are the same places where they lost their entire family. And so we continue calling upon you to continue praying for us and to, to help us support these kids. We still have over 500 kids who are out in the IDP camps who need our support. Many NGOs have closed down in Uganda because the area was declared a war-free zone, but yet the real crisis mm. is still is just beginning. They don't have homes, they don't have all the medical facilities out there, there are no schools. And so it's just a big challenge and I want you to continue praying with us. And again, thank you for choosing to walk with us along this journey. May God bless you God all. God bless you. I love Rose. you. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you, Rose. So Rose is going to stay with us uh, for the rest of this afternoon. I think she's going to... Are you coming to the Bonanza? All right. Uh, she's going to be outside at her booth, and she'll tell you more about Village of Hope. But uh, I hope you heard in her story the miracles of God's grace to her, to her people, to her uh, kids, the, the orphans that are a part of her life. Uh, the way that God assembled a team, a lady from the States here in Dallas, Texas, Cindy, uh, partnered with Rose, and Village of Hope became what it is today. And uh, we are so blessed to be a part of them and their ministry. Uh, so we're going to sing a song before we leave, uh, just a reprise of one of the songs we sang earlier. But I want to just give you, as we finish, some ways that you can activate, the ways that you can uh, be a part of this mission that we're all called to be a part of, uh, ways that you can be a sent one this morning. We're going to send out a bunch of teams to these partners and others uh, that uh, are going to depend on us uh, for the resources to go. And one of the ways that we re resource our teams is through our 5K. So you can sign up for the 5K today. You can be a sponsor if you're a business of that 5K. You can uh, sign up and not even run. You don't even have to run. We're not going to hold you to the running part. Just sign up and be a, a contributor to the missions uh, trips that are going out this year. Uh, you can also uh, talk to Steve. He'll be back there at the table if you're interested in going and being a part of a, of a mission trip through our church. He'll let you know what the trips are this coming year, and you can just start praying about whether or not you want to be a part of those, and uh, we'll see what God does in that regard. And then finally, Rose and the rest of the team that's a part of supporting Village of Hope here at our church will be at uh, tables out there. One will just be kind of Village of Hope where you can talk to Rose. One will be this place. You didn't get to mention it, but they, they built their first house at the first orphanage uh, on the 100 acres that we were blessed to be able to buy for them, which, by the way, uh, it wouldn't cost the same here. Is everybody with me on that? It was a blessing to be able to buy 100 acres. But uh, uh, they, they basically got their kids to make beads. They made beads out of, like, paper mache, like uh, kind of uh, uh, jewelry that they could sell. And their first house they paid for from the proceeds of beads being sold here in America. So the kids were able to do that. Yeah, it's a great thing. And they've gone on to build all kinds of stuff. 
and they continue to try to support themselves as much as they can. That's why I love Village of Hope is they don't want to be dependent on uh, American churches. They're trying to figure out how they can you know, create revenue streams so that they can provide for these kids. But one of the ways that we can help them is to buy the things that they make, uh, give them away to other friends for awareness, uh, but all the proceeds go to help support the kids. There's 75 new children, last thing, 75 new children that have come on this year from these IDP camps. They don't have parents. This is where they come to get their life, their schooling, their, their family. And uh, so there's 75 new kids that we can support as a church. I would love to have them supported before they leave here. Uh, so if God leads you to support a monthly, on a monthly basis a kid from the Village of Hope, that would be great as well. We're, we're doing all of this because we want to be the hands and feet of our Savior Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs him. Will you stand and sing that song with me as we close this morning? I want to be your hands and feet. I want to be your voice every time I speak. I want to run to the ones in need. In the name of Jesus, I want to give my life away. All for your kingdom's sake. Shine a light in the darkest place. In the name of Jesus, I want to be your hands and feet. I want to be your voice every time I speak. I want to run to the ones in need. In the name of Jesus, I want to give my life away. All for your kingdom's sake. Shine a light in the darkest place In the name of Jesus In the name of Jesus Lord, that's our simple prayer. We're, we're all in different places on this. Some of us have never considered going. Some of us have been going for years. We're all, we're all in between that somehow, and, and we just want to move forward in our understanding of being your sent ones so uh, if there's people here this morning who don't know you yet, that's the first stop on this, this journey. I pray that people here who don't know you find you and follow you and they put their faith in you and they find peace with God through you, Jesus. And then I pray for those of us who do know you to just continue to, to be aware of the ways that we can reach out in, in the jobs that we go to and the schools that we are educated in and the places that we find ourselves. Just help us to be your sent ones and help us to understand as a church where you want us to go next and serve you in those places. Uh, collectively uh, supporting and sending however you lead. We just want to be used for your glory, God. We want you to reign in the hearts of men and uh, help us to be a part of that however you see fit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.